especially in cats, a significant number of people will overlook low-grade vomiting. So we very often see cats come in for vaccinations and people will say, oh, actually, the cat vomits a few times a week and some people see that as normal. And obviously, if that was the owner themselves that was vomiting with that frequency, there would be something done about it. Welcome to the Vet Times podcast, a concise, weekly, topical, clinical podcast from the people behind Veterinary Times. Gastropathies are frequently seen and can be as much a worry for vets as for pet owners. Sean Kalea of Anderson Moores has co-authored an article on the management of gastric diseases for Veterinary Times. How are you, Sean? You okay? Yes, very well. Thank you. Yes, how are you, Paul? Yeah, very good. Very good, thanks. So uh, thank you for sparing the time to join us. Starting off, how common are gastric diseases in companion animals? Gastric diseases are actually quite a um, frequent presentation data can suggest that perhaps they make about 25% of presenting uh, problems um, and complaints. Obviously, the majority of those will be um, quite acute, um, fairly mild signs, and they can be managed kind of symptomatically as outpatients. A uh, proportion of these patients might well be surgical emergencies, and obviously, they should be managed appropriately. Um, and uh, that's obviously something that is very well discussed um, on quite a few uh, other resources. Um, And then I suppose there's the chronic aspect um, of uh, gastric disease. Um, And actually um, about half of, of up to about half of asymptomatic dogs uh, can be diagnosed with chronic gastritis. Um, And uh, if we look at dogs that present with chronic vomiting, then about 35% of those will have one form or another of chronic gastritis. And then looking at kind of other groups of patients um, that have gastric disease, perhaps secondary to uh, extraintestinal disease, so things like hyperadrenal corticism uh, or dysmotility, especially in critically ill patients uh, and in people, uh, about 50 to 60% of critically ill human patients will have intestinal dysmotility. So it's very important not to overlook these uh, secondary uh, gastric diseases. Obviously, pets are brought in when they've displayed some clinical signs. What kind of things are they coming in with? What have the owners themselves noticed? Very often, uh, again, with the acute cases, you tend to get this frequent and very often persistent vomiting. Uh, Some of these cases will have been vomiting multiple times overnight. And generally speaking, that's when the owners tend to get particularly worried. Some of them will be anorexic um, and obviously you can get quite a lot of lethargy in these cases. Um, we very often find that hematemesis triggers kind of a more urgent presentation because obviously people see blood and they're just suddenly a lot more concerned. And then I suppose with the more chronic cases, especially in cats, a significant number of people will overlook low-grade vomiting. So we very often see cats come in for vaccinations and um, people will say, oh, actually, uh, the cat vomits perhaps a few times a week and some people see that as normal and obviously if you look at it kind of objectively if that was the owner themselves or you know a human uh, that was vomiting with that frequency that would be completely uh, intolerable and um, there would be something done about it and uh, I suppose it's uh, you know in those cases um, very often uh, people bring their pets in because there's a sudden worsening or because they've developed other signs like weight loss Again, diarrhea or a poor appetite. And uh, I suppose in some of the uh, more severely affected acute cases, um, we tend to actually diagnose them with perhaps an underlying chronic gastroenteropathy. 
and uh, that's identified uh, during their hospitalization and during investigations into why some of these cases are, are very sick. So I suppose it's important to kind of educate owners what is normal and, um, and what is abnormal. And you touched a bit there on diagnosing. How much of a challenge is it for vets to find out what is causing these problems? Yeah, so I suppose same as with um, any uh, any disease, starting with kind of a really good history and a physical examination can help narrow things down quite a lot. Gastric diseases can, as a whole, be quite challenging because once you've excluded kind of all the other potential causes, so toxins, dietary indiscretions, drug administrations, then we're potentially left with kind of more vague signs. So a lot of these kind of mild acute presentations don't really warrant much further investigations, obviously depending on the uh, examination findings and how the patient presents. With the more chronic cases, and obviously further investigation is totally uh, appropriate. And uh, those cases are quite tricky because the signs can be quite variable. They can um, wax and wane. And then on kind of our basic uh, examination might not find much. Um, basic uh, blood tests again may not be very specific. And although that that is useful because it helps us exclude things, it doesn't necessarily kind of pinpoint the exact diagnosis. Very often these cases do require some imaging. Um, an ultrasound is very often the first choice of modality for intestinal disease because it gives us a lot of detail. But unfortunately, it's very user-dependent. And then, again, a significant portion of these cases may need endoscopy. And gastric, and in those situations, we also do duodenal biopsies. And specialist ultrasound and endoscopy may not always be available for a variety of reasons to, um, to, to all cases. So I suppose in those cases, once we have excluded kind of all sorts of other potential extra-intestinal causes or intestinal causes that can be kind of, um, more readily identified, then sometimes kind of doing hydrolyzed diet trials may be appropriate, not just as a management tool, but also to help us characterize the kind of disease that might be going on. And on the management side of things, I mean, once you have diagnosed and the owner's been given that diagnosis and, and the, the pet is back home, how much of a challenge is that for them? I mean, there are obviously different cases and lots of different disorders, but when you advise them, are there key things you ask them to look out for moving forward? Yes, and I suppose, um, as you say, there's kind of quite a um, variety. The um, whole spectrum of gastric disease is kind of quite broad, and obviously all the management and different aspects of treatment will vary from patient to patient. And I suppose from our point of view, kind of avoiding things like dietary indiscretion is generally quite important, although we know that that's quite difficult with some dogs. And uh, obviously, kind of in terms of other things, obviously reducing kind of, the use of medication without kind of, um, veterinary prescription or veterinary advice, non-steroidals um, would be um, kind of the main main thought there, given obviously the risk of gastric ulceration. And then I suppose in the more chronic diseases, then adhering to medications, but especially adhering to hydrolyzed diets, especially while we're doing dietary trials. And that very often can become frustrating where we have multiple potentially very severe relapses purely because of dietary indiscretions and because owners have not strictly adhered to a hydrolyzed diet trial and it can make especially uh, diet trials in those kind of initial few weeks uh, very challenging to interpret and uh, it can make the whole process frustrating for everyone involved and potentially obviously um, be of detriment to the patient themselves.
there must have been some interesting cases you've had to deal with. Obviously, you'll see these conditions quite a lot, as we've sort of established. But have you had any notable ones where you've been initially baffled, but you've come through to a really successful outcome? Yes, I think, as we've said, with uh, gastrointestinal yeah. diseases, because sometimes they can be quite vague, um, it can be a little bit challenging. And uh, once you've established that you have a primary gastrointestinal problem, getting to an answer is not always very straightforward. I can think of one particular case where we had a very young pug, so obviously there's a very good kind of, um, uh, impetus for achieving a successful outcome and uh, presented with very severe gastrointestinal signs of acute onset, but there are also some hints that perhaps there might have been some more chronic disease, which obviously we did identify, but unfortunately the patient deteriorated and eventually failed to improve despite uh, appropriate treatment for both of the acute and chronic stages of the um, of the disease. Um, obviously, we did persist. Um, these cases do spark a lot of doubt as to whether you're missing something or there's something perhaps more that has just not been identified. Um, for example, within the intestines on the biopsies that you take. Um, but uh, in this case, with um, with more time and, and more care, um, the patient in question did make a full recovery. And I suppose the main lesson from these types of cases is that um, gastrointestinal disease can take quite a long time to resolve, especially when we have very severely affected cases that require a lot of uh, different uh, management aspects and, um, and, and approaches. And in these cases, it takes quite a lot of commitment from everyone involved, obviously from the owners, financially, emotionally, but also um, from you know, people in charge of their care to avoid becoming frustrated. Um, and then that potentially can, can lead to, to the owner not uh, continuing with them um, with treatment and obviously not getting a, um, a good outcome for those um, for those patients. And I suppose in these situations where we think that that might be the case, sometimes it's useful to warn owners and refine from the outset that actually these diseases can be fairly protracted um, and that uh, the recovery period can potentially be quite prolonged and we might have some ups and downs along the way. Excellent. Lots to consider and uh, lots of information there for our listeners. Obviously, there's more on this in the article that you've written for us, which will be coming out in issue 4940, which is the 7th of October issue. But for now, thank you very much, Sean, for taking us through some of the issues regarding these uh, gastric diseases. Thank you very much, Paul. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. That's it for Vet Times podcast this time. Thanks to our guest. If you like what you've heard, tell your friends and leave us a review on iTunes. But for now, thanks for listening. See you next time.